Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. I'm your co-host, Phoenix. And today we are reviewing the 1987 sci-fi adventure comedy, Inner Space. It is directed by Joe Dante, and it stars Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, and Meg Ryan. A rambunctious Navy test pilot undergoes a top-secret miniaturization, miniaturization experiment and is accidentally injected into the body of a hapless Safeway clerk. All right, let's get it. Okay, uh, before we get into the movie, just wanted to talk a little bit. Um, it's been uh, probably a little over a week since we recorded. Uh, you have started parkour. I have. And uh, why don't you tell us uh, how it's been going or, you know, a little bit about that. Oh, it's been going great. You know, the instructors, they're, they're really friendly and helpful. Uh, they, when I'm struggling with something, they help me learn it and understand it better. Um I'm actually learning a lot of things, some things I didn't even know, and um, it's going great. Uh, so for those that don't know, why don't you tell us what parkour is? Search up Google and David Bell. Okay. Bam. Well, uh, basically, you it's kind of like free running, right? You guys are uh, you know, running and... Um... Ooh, it's like, it's like the video game Assassin's Creed. Okay. And for those that don't play Assassin's Creed, um, basically you're you're climbing, running up things, jumping off of um, what, what is it? You're kind of using your elements around you yeah. as you're running. It's uh, yeah. using the world around you as a play structure. Okay, fair In enough. In a way, yeah. Yeah, and okay. Uh, the, the reason I I brought this up because uh, you know I want to try something a little bit different. Um, usually in these podcasts we don't really usually talk about ourselves you know so listeners probably don't know a whole lot about us really just um from the little things that we say so i want to try to incorporate that early on sometimes uh in in some of these episodes but um you know whether they're uh, just things that we're kind of do in our personal life and um a another podcaster brandon from three tard uh, him and I, we did speak uh, one evening. We had a pretty lengthy conversation, and uh, he kind of suggested, hey, you know, you are a 14-year-old, and he thought it'd be really cool, you know, to hear some things about you or, you know, your thoughts on certain things as they are now. So uh, we don't have to get into, you know, a whole lot right now. It's just something I wanted to bring up. But yesterday we were at a birthday party, and as we were leaving, okay, and this, and this particular party... Um, it was a one-year-old's party. That was the second time we'd been at that house. The first time we went, it was actually for a baby shower, right? So these group of people, you probably knew a lot of them, but not everybody, right? So there um, were other members of the family that we've never met. But um, to get to the point here, as we were leaving, there was probably a group of about, I would say, about six, seven, eight girls that were seeing you off, which I don't think I knew any of them. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that there? Did you just meet them all that day? Uh, I, I know there were boys there too and stuff, you know, um, probably about your age, some a little younger, some a little bit older, but specifically just a little group of girls were seeing you off. I'm like, okay, I've, well, I've never seen them before and I don't think you met them all last year and you got to the party before I did cause I had to work. All right. Um, so yeah, I just met the group of the girls that day. You know, they were all um, going into eighth grade or uh, around around that age, so around my age. 
But uh, yeah, I just met them that day. Probably not even talk that much, but we we did we did it all talk. Yeah, you, you um, I think you were in a room with a, a bunch of kids your age, guys and girls, and you guys were playing games. No, it was actually just the guys. There oh. was one girl though, but they, she wasn't part of their that group. So yeah, we were all just nerding out playing COD. What's oh okay? So yeah, so yeah, the yeah. guys were playing COD. Yeah, and then the girls were doing something else. Okay. And so what did you do with the girls other than basketball? Because I know, like, uh, um, all, all the kids were uh, playing knockout later on. Be- before basketball, there was a huge uh, water fight in the backyard. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. a few okay, times, okay. I yeah, play- we played with them. But then after that, it was all just basketball. And then we played, uh, like, one round of hide-and-seek. But it was it was a horrible game. Like Okay. So basically, you made an impact during the water fight enough for this... This group of girls to come see you off as we left. No, actually, the impact was on the basketball. Oh, okay. So, so that's when you interacted with them more. Yeah. Okay, with the basketball. So, so you must have had some skills for them to say, "Oh, Phoenix is taking off. We need to go see see him off." As we left, I just yeah, thought it was a little unusual much. because I was like, "Well, I, I don't even know who these girls are. I ha- have no idea what relations they have to my friends and anything like that. They were, were probably just like cousins and stuff of my friends. So, but I've never seen them, so I thought that was uh, something kind of worth sharing. So that was uh, a day of Phoenix's life there over the weekend. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, I guess that we can just leave it at that for now. Can't wait to high school. Yeah, I can't wait to high school. Oh, oh, actually, before we get into that now, uh, you um. Tomorrow we'll be going to Bible camp for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so this is something you've done for how long now? Three years? Four years? Not oh, I think a little longer than four years. Oh, okay. And you usually go to two different camps in the um, summer. Yeah, one one summer I only went to one camp, but then the next summer I went to both camps, and then it's been going that way for a long time now. Okay, so yeah, you'll be gone for a week. Um, I don't really have any plans. As of yet, to uh, record while you're gone, I mean, there's preliminary talk with Uncle Phil. We may do something um, that will, that's not something we'll probably even throw out on any of the, uh, you know, our social media. If, should I, in the event I do make uh, any recordings, it'll probably just pop up uh, for those that subscribe. Um, but, okay, yeah, let's go, uh, get ahead, go ahead and get into the movie. The Parent's Guide for Inner Space. Uh, there is a brief scene of Dennis Quaid's butt. I don't know if it's really him or a body double, but um, violence, you know, it's th- this is rated PG, really, so th- there's really no concern uh, for any viewers. It- it's really a family movie, you can say, a sci-fi family movie uh, for all ages. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, Meg Ryan, uh, Don- Joe Dante, the director, are you familiar with this guy at all? No, I'm not. Uh, you so you've never heard of his name? Uh, I've heard of Dante, but I'm okay. pretty sure it's not the same person. <laughs> no. Uh, well, he he's done a lot of movies. Uh, he did both Gremlins. Mm. Okay, you and I recently mm-hmm. just saw Gremlins two on TV, mm-hmm. and funny enough, we watched Inner Space afterwards, and there were a lot of characters that appeared in this movie um, that were also in Gremlins two. So it does seem that Joe Dante likes to use a lot of uh, the same actors and actresses in his movies. Um, you are probably more familiar with uh, his movie Looney Tunes Back in Action. Ah, yes. So he actually directed that as well, uh, along with Explorers, which you have not seen. Um, that's a movie I kind of grew up watching as well. Uh, he also did uh, Small Soldiers, which I also don't think that... Mm, I like that movie. That, ...that you've seen. I've seen that. 
Oh, okay. Many times, many, many times. Okay, the opening sequence. Um, this again, this is back in '87, so you probably don't see something like this very often anymore. But we have a slow panning shot of. Um, I don't know if you knew right away, but I, you know, everything looked like glass or ice. The, yeah, the opening the, sequence. It, it gave me that reaction. Yeah, I, I didn't know what it was at first, but then I came to realize that it was like a little reflection or something like that. Yeah, because movies now, they don't really play credits like they used to back in the day, you know, where the movie would open and then they'd show the credits of, um, you know, the actors and actresses and people that uh, have a part in the movie. And now sometimes you just get the title of the movie and that's it. You know, so sometimes they don't even show the names anymore until the end of the movie. Um, but we get to meet Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton, played by Dennis Quaid. Uh, this is at a party, right, for the uh, Naval Aviation. Uh, they are being awarded for something, and Tuck, as he's called, is drunk. Uh, he's kind of talking, and there's a model of a uh, plane behind him. And he had been drinking, and he kind of stumbles as he's giving this little speech, and he falls backwards and knocks knocks down the model, and he goes, crap, I spilled my drink. Uh, but we meet Pete and Lydia. Pete is somebody that he, what, used to work with or something? Yeah, I think he used to work with him. Yeah, and something went sour, and we don't really learn uh, about it until a little bit later. But his girlfriend's Lydia, who is played by Meg Ryan. You don't know either any of these people, right, really? I don't think so, no, but in the future I will. These guys, uh, the other soldiers, they are mad at him. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them, like, naval men or officers. I think they're mostly officers because they're probably a bunch of pilots. Um, but they want to fight him for being a jerk. So at this point, we kind of see that he's not very well liked. And we don't quite know for sure exactly why yet. Um, but Tuck and Lydia, they ended up going home. Uh, as he walks inside, you see a robotic arm pouring him a drink so he's got this mechanical robotic arm it kind of reminded me of the one in back to the future in the in the first movie in the opening sequence marty walks in you see all the clocks in doc's room and then you have that robotic arm that opens up the can of food for for einstein oh right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, that's another thing I want to bring up. Um, I noticed that, okay, this particular movie, it is produced by Steven Spielberg, right, of Emblem Entertainment. Uh, other producers are also, uh, what was it, Kathleen Kennedy, and uh, I'm, I'm mixing up their names, but these are the same people that uh, were behind Back to the Future and Gremlins. So they do a lot of these, uh, the older movies that were very you know, big hits, you know, they were very successful movies. So, um, you really get that feel too, uh, that, that Spielberg had a hand in this. So are you uh, wanting to put this as a partial Z effect? No, no, that that's, uh, the last movie. This, if anything, this would be like a uh, Spielberg effect or something. The S you know? effect. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Lydia asks Tuck, what's up with the rabbit, right? He's got this big old Bugs Bunny there. Um, and he said that he's just working on a new project. And he turns on an old school song, Cupid, by Sam Cooke. Uh, apparently it's their song, and you know he tries to get her to dance with, uh, with him a little bit. Uh, so this is a pretty short scene. We just kind of see them uh, together a little bit and show us a little chemistry. Uh, but the next morning, Lydia is leaving. She is getting picked up by, um, by the dad from Gremlins. And she's not too happy about the relationship, I guess, where things are going. But they they didn't really fight, but she's leaving him, and he's chasing after her in a towel. 
Oh, just so if you're all confused, because I was a little confused there for a second. You said the dad from uh, for you said from the dad, and then he said from Gremlins. There's a little pause there. That means uh, she got picked up by a taxi driver, and the taxi driver was the dad from Gremlins. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't specify um, the taxi driver, but Tuck is trying to convince her to stay with them. He. <laughs> He, uh, I don't know if he kicked her door closed or, or, or something, but, um, you know, again, he's out there in just a towel, and he puts his foot up to the door, and he's trying to show her that he stubbed his toe and that he thinks it's broken, but um, the cab takes off anyway, But and the door had shut on his towel, and so t- uh, the taxi takes off along with his towel, leaving him nude, completely nude in the middle of the street. Did, did you have any thoughts on this whole opening about the characters or anything? I thought this was hilarious, and seeing uh, Tuck that way, you can tell he was kind of a, uh, I don't know the right character for what Tech would be, but you can see how he doesn't follow the rules or anything like that, or isn't a uh, he d- he doesn't model seem, citizen. Yeah, he doesn't like seem that. to be well-liked by his peers, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm trying to say. And, and now his girlfriend, uh, obviously, she's leaving him with uh, reasons of her own. Um, so he's just kind of down on his luck at this point. But uh, it is two months later. Uh, we cut to the beach, which at least, you know, they're trying to make us think that we're looking at the beach. But it's actually a picture. So it pans out. We meet Jack Putter, played by Martin Short. Are you familiar with him? I am not, no. He played Jack Frost from Santa Claus 3. Oh, I can I can picture that. Yeah. So uh, he is at the doctor's. Um, he is visiting the doctor to find out why he is feeling a certain way. He doesn't know it, but he is actually allergic to hairspray. Uh, he was trying to show the doctor that he has some kind of reaction on his forehead or whatever. and um, So he finds that out. And now the doctor asks him a few questions, and he finds out that uh, Jack sometimes has nightmares. And most recently, he had a dream that he was at the market. Uh, where he works, he works at a Safeway, and he was uh, working the register. This lady with orange hair, I don't know her name, but she was in Gremlins too. She was the lady who uh, had her own cooking show. Uh, so so she is um, at the checkout stand, and Jack is her cashier. He is ringing up her items, and the totals are just coming up really crazy, right? I think it, I think her total... Was like over a hundred thousand dollars, yeah. yeah. And she was like, you know, I don't carry that kind of cash. You know, um, do you take this? And she reaches for her purse and like pulls out a gun. Um, it's, it's a very tiny pistol uh, mm-hmm. with little diamond studs on it. Oh, you, I see. I didn't even notice the studs, but yeah, it's a very uh, a really small gun that she pulls out of her purse. Um, so that's kind of the nightmare he has. And the doctor tells him that he needs to go on vacation. So Pete and this doctor, his name is Dr. Niles, but I, I don't remember them ever dropping it. I, I, I had to look it up. But um, they're in the back of a car, and they're discussing this new project. And Dr. Niles mentions that uh, they got this pilot to get involved. And Pete's like, oh, who is it? And he's like, oh, it's Tuck. And then Pete's like, why him? You know. And Dr. Niles says that he's the only one crazy enough to do it. So that kind of tells you the kind of character... Uh, you know, that Tuck is. Uh, one that takes risks, obviously. Um, but then we cut to Tuck looking in the mirror uh, in, um, you know, the locker room. And he's slapping himself. 
uh, in the face and basically trying to psych himself out, you know, trying to prepare him for what he's about to uh, about to do. And then we uh, get introduced to Dr. Osley. No, Dr. Ozzy Wexler. Oh, that's uh, what I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, the, the, the other different one. Person. Right, right, right. Uh, not, Dr. Niles is a, a different person. Um, the Phoenix was thinking Dr. Ozzy Wexler, but I was talking about somebody else. But anyway, Ozzy, he's the one that's in charge. We see Tuck walking in. He's getting ready, and everyone is wishing him well. Uh, he's taking a... It's funny because he's actually taking a selfie with one of the girls. You know, she she has a camera and, you know, he holds the camera up for her and takes a picture of them two together. Uh, but this entire thing is being documented. Obviously, this is something obviously important enough that it needs to be documented. But I, I imagine most uh, scientific experiments are, you know, just for um, having everything on record. Uh, but Tuck hops in. Well, he he also uh, there's a scientist, uh, a woman who stood up, and then he went over to her and he kissed her. Oh, yeah, again tells you what kind of guy he is. Kind of a ladies' man, I guess. What uh, what Tuck reminded me of at this point was uh, how Jordan uh, Green Lantern he also was a ladies' man, and you know he was he was a cocky air pilot. Uh, he didn't respect authority too much, just like just like Tuck here. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so Tuck hops in, uh, this pod, and it looks very similar to the pod that was constructed in Explorers, um, and you haven't seen that movie, but, um, it's also, again, directed by Joe Dante, so, yeah, maybe it'll be something we get into, um, but he starts, uh, turning on all kinds of switches and knobs, right, and then uh, somebody mentions that the um, Dr. Kanker, ha- you know, is late or, you know, hadn't shown up yet or something. Um, but then we see another robotic arm, um, very similar to the one that was in Tuck's house. Uh, it grabs a microchip and plugs it into uh, some some kind of circuit board. And then uh, the, par- the pod, it starts spinning. In the commentary, it is described as the sound of the Tasmanian devil. And... This is kind of funny because I think the, the, the director is actually a fan of Looney Tunes because you had the, the thing of Bugs Bunny earlier in Tuck's house, and now you have the pod spinning like the Tasmanian Devil, and then obviously Joe Dante goes on to direct uh, the Looney Tunes back in action movie. Um, but yeah, the, the pod starts spinning, and Tuck looks like he's quantum leaping, <laughs> right? His face kind of turns white, and there's all these flashes and stuff like that. But uh, he gets shrunk and gets put into a syringe full of water. Is it water? I had no idea what well, that fluid some, was. Yeah, fluid solution. You know, um, I don't know if it's you know something that needs to be. I, I don't know. Yeah, into some some uh, you know syringe with liquid in it. Um, but it is uh, Tuck becomes as tiny as a speck of dust, right? And then and then we kind of cut to the entrance of this laboratory, and some men in orange suits arrive, and they tell the front desk that they're they are there to um, uh, repair some phone or something. They kind of take out the guys at the front desk, and they walk in and put on gas masks. We go back to the lab, and one of the lab people uses a microscope to see Tuck, and he can see Tuck from inside the pot. Definitely Aussie. Was it? Okay. And uh, the orange people, they come in and take out everyone uh, involved, basically. 
And then this woman, she, well, she takes off a mask, uh, and you see that it's a woman, and they call her Margaret. Uh, she apparently knows her way around the lab a little bit. But they are there, obviously, for something. And then we cut to outside, where there's a car with the license plate snap-on in it. And then uh, it's driven by a guy named Igo, mm -hmm. right? What, what do you think about this guy? This guy screamed Terminator to me. And not literally, obviously. This, yeah, this guy didn't yeah. scream because he actually doesn't talk. But um, that's a very on-the-nose observation you made because uh, the actor, he was going for a Terminator kind of thing. Huh. You know, like, uh, not not quite his mannerisms, but, you know, he wanted the presence of uh, Arnold's portrayal of the Terminator. Uh, and But this guy, the reason why he has a snap-on license plate... And, well, the word snap on on his license plate anyway, because he has uh, an interchangeable right hand, right? Mm -hmm. But that, we don't know this yet. Not yet, yeah. But that that explains why the, uh, the the plate. But inside, everybody seems to be shot or you know put out by the gas. Ozzy comes up after Margaret finds him, and then he says, "Margaret, like." They know each other before. Mm -hmm. So in the way she was going around the laboratory, like she knows it a little bit, that's, you know, that's definitely something that means that she used to work there before maybe. And uh, she's, she, she's just asking where the project is, I suppose. And then he he doesn't respond, but he's looking right at it. And she sees his eyes too. So he, he grabs it and then runs as fast as he can. And then she calls, I go to uh go after him. yeah to go after him and then there's this big chasing yeah uh so this chasing it consists of him hopping over fences um he takes a was it a kid's bike mm -hmm. uh, he takes the bike off of uh, someone's yard and he's riding through traffic um the traffic's actually pretty uh, i'm surprised he didn't even get hit but uh he rides the bike all the way to the mall and now we see jack putter he is at a uh travel agent possibly to go on a cruise. And then we see Igo, he spots Ozzy uh, inside the mall. Uh, he raises his hand, points at him, and shoots him with his finger. So this is when we find out that his hand or something is mechanized or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, when you first see his hand, it has this little weird shape on it, like uh, some fingers are sticking out and the other ones are down. I just thought he had something wrong with his fingers, but then... When he pointed his fingers at Ozzy, I thought he must have like a mental disability where he can shoot his finger or something. I didn't actually think there would be a bullet or something, but it was kind of weird. Okay. Um, let's see. So Ozzy goes up to the elevator, and when he gets out, he injects the syringe into the first person he saw, which happens to be Jack. Um, but Ozzy, uh, he had been shot. Uh, and obviously knowing that he died, he, he needed to get rid of the... Uh, um, or he needed to put Tuck somewhere, right? So that way it doesn't mm -hmm. fall into the wrong hands. But it fell into the wrong butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, now, I, I don't think I mentioned this, obviously, but uh, he was supposed to go into a rabbit. Bugs. But, well, a, a rabbit named Bugs, mm -hmm. not, not the cartoon <laughs> character. But, uh, yeah, so Ozzy, uh, yeah, Ozzy dies... And then Igo finds the empty syringe. It's broken, and it's, you know it's on the ground next to Ozzy. Um, but 
Igo looks up and Jack is standing there and he's just kind of watching everything, right? He had just been injected in the butt, uh, doesn't know what the heck is going on. Obviously, you know, the guy that injects him is dead. Uh, there's this Terminator looking guy at the mall and, you know, just like in T2, there's somebody, you know, there's a, uh, uh there's somebody standing there taking pictures. You the know. C effect. Cameron. Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> But uh, I go takes the man's camera, and that scene ends. And then we cut to Jack going into work, and he is really late. Uh, and his boss, the, the boss isn't very nice to him, right? He's giving him a hard time for being late and stuff. And you got to imagine that, you know, this kind of tells you a lot about Jack's character. You know, he, he walks in, he's his boss is giving him the third degree for being late, and he doesn't even tell him why. I mean, don't you think that it'd be a good idea? You show up, you're late, and you're like, "Hey, you know, lay off." I just got injected in the butt by some stranger <laughs> with but, a syringe. But then you know, the boss would just be like, "Yeah, sure, I have a pony at home." Yeah, well, you know, this one you bend over and show him the the you know the the mark on the butt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you moon your boss. I, I don't know what you do, but you know. But, but again, this just shows that you know he's kind of passive and he's kind of just taking it from the boss. So. Um, so Jack's a bit, uh, a little bit of a, what's a, a pushover, passive aggressive. I, I don't know what the, uh, yeah, probably just a pushover. And we see a quick shot of, uh, Tuck waking up, um, from being knocked out. He sees what appears to be fat cells and then he uses his radio to talk to the people in the lab, but nobody answers. Uh, we meet Wendy, who is a co-worker of Jack's, and uh, apparently she doesn't remember that they went out uh, the previous night. No, that they were supposed to go out the previous night. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, see, well, that that kind of changes everything because I was just like, wow, she uh, she parties hard and, you know, must be some kind of drunk. Okay, so I'm, uh, I missed that. Um, but now, so so Jack is working the cashier, and he looks up, and it's the the lady from his nightmare, right? The the lady with the orange hair. Um, she shows up, and uh, so Tuck, who's now inside Jack, he is boosting the electromagnetic compound or something, and the the things that Jack is ringing up, the items, it's making all the items a lot more expensive than what they really are. So Jack freaks out because it's turning out to be just like his nightmare, right? So he's asking for aspirin, and he is just flipping out. He's starting to hyperventilate and all this, and Wendy tries to help him out and gives him a slap. And, uh, you know, the vibration makes Tuck uh, able to feel it on the inside, right? Uh, So Tuck cuts a hole in in something, and then he goes through the bloodstream. Um, Basically, that's how, I guess, he... Um, is able to kind of navigate through the body, and, right? Is going through the bloodstream because it's you know pushing mm-hmm. blood at a really rapid pace. Um, but the boss is talking to him, and uh, his eye starts twitching uh, because Tuck uh, fires this optic sensor to his eye, and this is now gonna allow um, Tuck to see whatever Jack sees. But the moment Tuck fires this sensor. Jack gets this sharp pain in his eye. He just he just screams and he reaches for his eye and um, it's it's a really funny scene. Um, he, he says it feels like someone shoved a hot needle or something through his eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then this is when Tuck realizes that he is inside a man because once he starts seeing, uh, Jack had just um, removed his hands from his eyes because now he is seeing Wendy and the boss and you know they're talking to Jack 
And so Tuck realizes that he's not in the lab because, you know, these two people, he doesn't recognize at all. And he can probably see the, you know, behind them a little bit that it appears to be inside, you know, an office somewhere else. Um, so Tuck says that he needs to talk to this guy, uh, meaning Jack. And so he makes his way to Jack's ears. Uh, Margaret, uh, from earlier, and then the next shot, Margaret from earlier is looking at photos from the incident. Um, I go apparently went to go get these, uh, developed and finds out that uh, this guy that Tuck was injected into, his name is Jack. He's wearing his uh, name tag. So what doesn't make sense to me is that the guy took a lot of pictures. How right. come they just focused on Jack? Oh, what do you mean? So the the photographer, mm -hmm. they, uh, he took bunches of pictures of everyone and they got those photos developed. Why did they only focus on Jack and not you know someone else that he might have taken a picture of? Uh, well, I think it's because Jack was standing there, you know. Yeah, but everyone, there's a yeah. whole crowd around. Uh, well, I, I guess I go just, um, you know, just kind of looked at, it, it was probably just the way Jack reacted. You know, he, he's kind of looking at everything, and I don't think he left in a panic or anything like that. But I think Jack was, you know, he was the only one standing there right by the elevator. You know, and Ozzy had just came out, right? Ozzy's probably not, yeah, he's, you know, he's not so far. But if, then that, that, that also wouldn't make sense, because why didn't, I go just go after Jack then. I think because there was too much attention uh, okay. at that point. You know, again there was a there was a man with a camera there, mm -hmm. which at that point, uh, ironically enough, I go like, what's he do? Like stab him in the back with a syringe or something? Because he he hurts the guy. I think he just hits him really hard yeah. with his hand, because you know the hand's not real, so it's obviously gonna hurt. Sure. Yeah. Because I mean, he he shot it right. So imagine like getting a pistol whip in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, no, your your question is uh, is is valid, um, but the the pictures they're they're you know yeah obviously they they have an idea it's Jack Putter, um, and they developed the pictures and I go ahead these pictures all zoomed in and stuff like that you know trying to get details to figure out who he is. Um, I think it's funny that Igo didn't even himself like you know look at the the name tag right. Margaret had to find it on her own. And then the, the next scene, Tuck approaches the middle ear and connects some sensor to that. Now that will allow Jack to hear him. Uh, Jack is inside an elevator and there's like, what, four other people that are there? And Tuck is asking him questions, but he's not responding. But he's looking, you know, to his left and his right, which are both women. So I've, I found that kind of funny because, you know, obviously Tuck has a man's voice. And so he's looking at these women and... He, I don't think he asks anything, right? He doesn't even say anything. He just looks around, he looks behind him, trying to figure out where the sound is coming from. Um, now, at this point, what do you think about Martin Short, the actor, who is playing Jack? Uh, at this point, I, I sort of liked him. I mean, I didn't hate him, but I didn't love him. There wasn't anything too notable about how he acted. He was eccentric, so maybe one day... So maybe he would have been a good doctor on Doctor Who because, you know, all doctors are eccentric or something like that. He would have been somewhat good, but that's just what I would describe him in, eccentric. Okay. Um, I think, okay, I don't know if you know, but Martin Short, he himself is an, uh, a comedian, right? He was on uh, Saturday Night Live and did a lot of comedies back in the day. Uh, but I think they specifically... Um, 
uh, casted him, a comedian, in this role because he has to do a lot of physical comedy, right? It's it's got to work because um, all all these things that happen to a guy, if you had like a serious actor playing these roles, some of the things that happen wouldn't come off funny enough, right? Or um, it, it just it, it would just be too serious that I don't think people would actually have fun uh, with this movie because you know it, it is a you know an adventure slash action sci fi kind of thing. Who do you think would have been better, him or you know someone else? Like who do you think would have been better? I think he's fine. I, I think he he's really good. Um, uh, I don't want to make this comparison, but I'm gonna. Um, but okay, like Jim Carrey. Okay, uh, started out as a comedian. He was also on something kind of like Saturday Night Live. It was called uh, In Living Color, and so th- there was a lot of sketches that he was known for and stuff like that. And then he went on to do movies, right? He did The Mask, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and all that stuff. So he was always known as a comedian. But he's done like a um, probably like a handful of uh, drama movies too, you know, like uh, The Majestic, uh, Number Twenty Three. So he's done some more serious stuff too, and I think he actually does a really good job acting in serious roles. Um, even the um, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, or what do you think he did in Batman Forever? Comedy. Well, yeah, he he was just over the top comedy. I didn't like his role, and I mean, there was nothing to like about that movie at all. I mean, there there are some things, but I mean, if you're comparing it to some of the other Batman movies, that was definitely one of the weakest ones. Uh, but so you know that, and I so that's why I'm making that comparison. Uh, typically, like a comedian, they can do serious roles too, and I think they do it well. Um, Steve Martin, another another comedian, he's done some. Um, some um, serious roles. I think the first one I saw him in was a movie called Leap of Faith, uh, where he's like a con man going from town to town, putting up these tents, uh, and you know having um, like masses and sermons and and all these things trying to. Well, but that's another podcast I know. But the point is, I, I think uh, comedians can play serious roles. But um, I think Martin Short was casted specifically for the physical comedy, and I think he does a really good job in this movie. So now Jack is in the waiting room and he's sitting in between a man and a woman. And uh Tuck is saying, I'm inside your body, you know, and uh so so Jack thinks he's possessed. He actually screams that in the middle of the uh the waiting room. Um so now he's being seen, the doctor comes in and says that it's not a demonic possession. Uh so the doctor checks his ear and Tuck happens to be in the ear uh canal. Is that is that a thing? <laughs> In the ear canal, but anyway, so the doctor's shining the uh, you know that instrument into the ear, and it blinds Tuck, and um, he's like, "Oh God," or whatever, and, <laughs> and then uh, the doctor asks Jack if he's um, if he hears anything else, and he's like, "Wait, wait, wait, I think he's saying something about God." <laughs> so it's a really good line, um, but now Jack goes home, and Tuck he can now see. Okay, he wants to talk to Jack, but Jack is ignoring him. Um, he turns on the TV and there's a game, uh, some game, game show going on and, and he's like, oh, you know, look at that. And so, yeah, he's really just trying to ignore the voices or voice. Um, but Tuck does that thing like he did earlier, you know, the whole, um, electromagnetic compound thing. Mm-hmm. Well, he does that and makes Jack's, uh, TV explode and, and it makes it send this, uh, VHS tape out, out of the VCR and shoots right out the window. And this whole thing is super weird. I I don't know how you do something like that um, with what um, 
with the type of instrument that Tuck has in that pod, right? You, you got to have some kind of uh, remote frequency and all this stuff. And he is so tiny, I don't think it would have any kind of juice to do anything like this. But that's a little nitpick uh, I have with the movie. But uh, he, he, as in Tuck, tells Jack about the miniature, miniaturization experiment. You know, so he gives the backstory on uh, what happened and, you know, who he is and stuff like that. Um, but a guy shows up uh, at Jack's door. Uh, he says he's from the travel ag agency. Uh, asks to come in. Well, he comes in and has Jack sign something. Um, but he asks to use the telephone. Uh, but Tuck has his gut feeling that the guy isn't from the agency, right? And you can hear uh, Jack's heartbeat uh, um, rising too. And then Jack's heartbeat raises and it sends Tuck down the bloodstream and it's flowing quick. Um, uh, so Tuck tells him to to uh, try to leave. And then the guy who's on the phone is like, w where are you going? And then like uh, J Tuck instructs him to you know take the gun. You know, knock the guy out, which he does. And then he... Is... Oh, hang on. Whoa, First whoa. of all, uh -huh. the guy pulls out a gun. Okay, right. keep going. He didn't say that. He said... He's, you only said... Uh, the guy says, where are you going? And then, then he said, Tuck tells Jack to t take the gun. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed that part. And hey, so, these parts are crucial. I, they are. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, as Jack is escaping from the apartment, he sees um, I go and is able to escape. Jack is back at the lab and he's explaining to Pete and Dr. Niles uh, about what he's you know, hearing and seeing and um, Pete says that they need to get Tuck out of him. Um, but Tuck, he's telling Jack that he's never trusted Pete. You know, I, I think he calls him a traitor or so, uh, something like that. Um, but Pete and Dr. Niles, they leave the room temporarily and Tuck tells him to go to you know, to the window and try to find where they are. And then he's going to try to uh, do something where he can focus on what they're saying and allow them to hear what they're saying. Uh, again, this is just, you have to give this movie these things, you know. I, Me as a viewer, I'm like, how do you do something like that? Uh, again, with, with like earlier, making the TV explode and sending the tape outside the window. Same thing with this, like, how do you even see something like that because you're you're not hooking up sensors to somebody's ear and eyes you, you're just looking at these two people talking from a distance and you can hear them perfectly and and not only can he hear jack can hear him too um another little nitpick that i have there especially since jack is so small like how can i mean tuck especially since tuck is so small how can jack hear him so clearly and talk so loud yeah well i'm sure that there's a i, I don't know it, it, it's not very well explained but i'm sure the sensor that he hooked up to jack's ear and there's a microphone on the inside of the pod that is supposed to allow jack to hear somehow so the sensor is to um you know sync up with his eardrum so we'll we'll go with that but I forget what pete and dr niles talk about but um i know dr niles mentions that they need to get Tuck out by sometime the next day. Did they nine give a nine o'clock? That's that's fine. That was the same time in Frighteners. I was too. just thinking, or I was thinking about that last or last time we watched. Yeah. The movie. So they're saying that he's gonna run out of oxygen, 
and that he's going to die if they don't get him out soon. But Pete is in no hurry. He doesn't even care if Tuck dies. Um, so Tuck's not happy. But he instructs Jack to go into, uh, what, the, the locker room? Um, asks him to grab a few items and asks him just to do this for him. You know, the, uh, this whole thing, just to do it for him because he's got no other means and uh, anybody that he can trust at this point. Uh, but he takes a nice red Mustang, um, obviously as Tux, uh, a little bit older, so um, a classic car. And Jack says that, hey, he'll do this uh, for for him as long as that there's no pain. Uh, you know, he doesn't want Jack to do anything because, I don't know, I think he's probably talking about how uh, Tuck did something with the eye earlier. and He felt a sharp pain in the eye. So, you know, something like that. And, and uh, Tuck says, okay. Oh, um, I want to elaborate a little bit more on the... Uh... Pete and Tuck knowing each other, maybe working with each other in the past. Um, when Pete says something about trying to help get Tuck out of Jack's body, you know, and uh, Tuck starts swearing at him. Jack says he says, or Tuck says, "Thank you," and then Pete says, "Uh huh, sure." So I'm I'm just thinking that he, Pete knows that Tuck is saying bad things to him. No, that's very possible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're you're completely right. Um, but let's see. We go to Tuck's house, and Tuck asks Jack to get him a drink. And in doing so, that's the only way Tuck can drink. And that's one thing that we didn't really mention. Well, no, I, I did mention because he, he started off, you know, the movie started off with him being a drunk. Um, so obviously Tuck has a bit of a drinking problem, and the only way he can get a little bit of it is if Jack drinks him too. So they both have a drink. Um, Jack turns on a song again by Sam Cooke, which we also heard earlier, but this is a different song, Twisting the Night Away. Um, but Jack goes crazy. What do you think of the scene here, him dancing? Yeah, I thought it was a little funny. I, already, I actually thought he was already drunk when he first started dancing. But, um, I wanted to talk a little bit more on how he got the drink. Uh, you said if Jack drinks and Tuck can drink. What Tuck did was... He put a, a flask on a robot arm that was apparently already inside the pod pod mm -hmm. that he was in, and the arm went back out into the body. And when Jack started drinking, the uh, liquor went into the flask. So when that was full, then he brought it back in and started drinking that. So I was I was a little grossed out by that. Yeah, it's a pretty cool effect, though. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. But but the dancing itself, uh, again, you know, this is a comedian uh, dancing here, so he's just going really crazy. He's doing all these really funny moves. If it was a serious actor, I don't think this scene would have worked at all. Um, maybe. You know, I mean, not, not every dramatic actor can really be funny. Yeah, You know what I mean? So you got to find the right person for it. Will Smith. Well, he he's he started out as a rapper and did mostly comedy at first. I mean, I think his first movie was a, a drama, but uh, yeah, uh, that guy's got many talents. But uh, they finish dancing, or Jack finishes dancing, and they have a little talk. Um, you know, talking about well, they they get a little personal. You know, just asking each other questions and stuff like that. And uh, Jack sees a picture of Lydia. Um, on a table or something like that, and it's like, oh, is this your girl? And Tuck's like, yeah. And um, but Tuck wants to see what Jack looks like, so he has him go into the bathroom to look in the mirror. 
And then he has Jack do what he did earlier, uh, slapping himself in the face. And what did you think of this? Uh, I didn't think too much of it. I just thought, well, you know, it's what Jack did earlier. Yeah. Okay. So he slaps himself a, a few times, and and then we cut to Lydia at work. Uh, she is, I don't know if she's a reporter or she's a writer. Reporter. Okay. So she is uh, talking to her boss, and they're writing about what happened to Ozzy. Right, uh, Dwayne, a co-worker of hers, um, comes in and says that the cowboy is coming to town. And then we cut to who, you know, we see the cowboy. And we get to see who he is. He's on a plane. Uh, he sits down, obviously looks like, um, how would you describe his look? I mean, he's got the cowboy hat, right? I mean, he doesn't look like your typical cowboy on, on a ranch. You know what I mean? He's kind of like a, kind of a flashy looking kind of guy, right? He uh, He lights a cigar up. Um, while on the plane, he sits down, and then the man next to him is obviously giving him these looks like, you know, you can't be doing this on the plane. But a flight attendant, she comes by, asks him to put it out, and he just puts it out in his hand. So a quick scene uh, of the introduction of the cowboy. Ah, that's the character I was thinking of when you were speaking. I was trying to think of the character who he reminded me of, and it was Wolverine. Uh, like the thing where he said he put the, he put the cigar out of on his hand, you know, Wolverine did that too once. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, how I go went for a Terminator look. Maybe the cowboy went for a Wolverine type. Well, but this is also before the movie too, so still. Okay. Um. All right. Yep. Yeah, maybe they uh, drew some comparisons from the comics. But uh, this actor, he was also in Gremlins too. So again, another person that uh, Joe Dante likes to use. And now uh, Jack is driving down the street, and uh, apparently he is—he was supposed to go look for Lydia because uh, Tuck's like, "Hey, you know, th- there's Lydia right there." And so um, Jack's honking the horn uh, of the car, and then Lydia sees the car, you know, doesn't recognize him, but comes over. It's like, you know, what are you doing with Tuck's car? And you know, he's wearing Tuck's jacket, and uh, Jack tells her, uh, Jack is instructed by Tuck to tell her to shut up and listen. Um, but we cut to a restaurant, and Jack tells her Tuck is being held hostage, uh, obviously, which is a lie. She doesn't really believe him, um, but Jack goes to the bathroom, and then when he comes back, he gets uh, he gets hit by Igo, who was just uh, right outside. And Lydia, she stands up, and she pulls out a taser gun and aims it at him. Uh, she says that it's going to send, what, 2,000? 10,000. 10,000 volts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she says that she's going to shoot him if he doesn't let Jack go. So I go, he turn, he swings Jack's body around because um, he anticipates that she's going to shoot him, right? But as he swings Jack around, he swings Jack back again, so that way the taser hits Jack. Um, you'd have to kind of see it. I guess, you know, it's a little hard for me to explain, but so Jack Human gets shield. hit. He, yeah, there you go. So, so Jack gets hit, um, and it hits his, uh, uh, name yes. tag. Oh, name tag. Okay. Yeah, it's hit, it hits his name tag, which, uh, hopefully it doesn't hurt him uh, as much. So now Jack is, um, unconscious and I go throws him over the shoulder and he leaves the restaurant. Um, but as, as he gets outside, his car is being towed away. So he has to, he's kind of forced to steal a meat truck at this time and he throws Jack in the back. Now we cut to Mr. Victor Scrimshaw. Um, his license plate says sub zero on it. I'm not sure why. 
but Margaret's there too. And so they're all in the back of the truck along with Jack and it's uh, extremely cold. So Margaret checks him out and he's got mild hypothermia. So they, you know, they got a blanket around him to keep him warm so, you know, he doesn't die. Uh, he needs to be kept alive, right? So Scrimshaw tells him about the uh, miniaturization experiment, um, what it is and, you know, how much... Uh, how he wasn't really interested in it except for the money. Right, and it was a matter of how much, uh, you know, would which country would pay, really. So, you know, it's um, they're trying to sell it as a, as a weapon, right? So we kind of find out that they're like a rival organization who is trying to take the technology. Uh, and so we find out that Margaret is that Dr. Uh, Kanker that was mentioned earlier, you know. So she was part of this group who uh, basically betrayed them, or she could have been implanted in there. I, I don't think we really find out. Uh, but uh, so Tuck... Um, I don't know where Tuck had been, but he start, you know, he's talking to Jack, and he's trying to talk Jack into jumping out of the truck, right? All the, all this while, while Scrimshaw is like talking to him too. Because Jack looks at the doors and he sees that it's very mildly mildly open, and then Tuck sees it too, so he says, "Okay, Tuck or Jack, you gotta you gotta jump out of those doors." So he's yeah. psyching him up, and yeah. then Jack's psyching himself up as well. Yeah, he he really gives him a talk like a coach would, you know, to uh, to a team. Right during timeout, you know, just trying to get him really motivated to to get up and run out that door, which he does. So he hops out of the truck, and, and it's obviously moving, and he's swinging on the door. Uh, but luckily, Lydia is driving behind them, you know, in the uh, in the red Mustang. So he's swinging, and he's hanging on the back of the door. Uh, and Lydia pulls up, and he's able to stand, you know, has one foot on like the windshield, and uh, so now he's kind of on both uh, the Mustang and the truck. So he's hanging. And this scene, it kind of reminded me of the uh, Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Skulls. You know, Mutt, the kid. Or, I haven't seen oh, that you haven't seen it? Okay. Time. Yeah, it, it, there's a very similar scene there, too. And, you know, no coincidence, that one was directed by Steven Spielberg, which in this one, you know, he's a uh, producer. Uh, but, uh, it, yeah, it's a funny comical scene, but he ends up falling into the car um, safely. And then the next scene, uh, they're staking out and waiting for the cowboy at the hotel. Uh, Lydia and Jack, that is. Um, so we find out that um, the cowboy, he deals stolen Western technology. So he buys things and he sells it. Uh, kind of the middleman, I guess. Uh, but she, Lydia, tells him to get a change of clothes from the suitcase in, um, in, in the trunk of Tuck's car. And Tuck didn't know that she knew about it, and she tells Jack that it's basically a suitcase with spare clothes for times when Tuck wakes up in the middle of, you know... Uh, well, hey, I, I want to... Tell the story? What? Well, yeah, t tell the story about <laughs> it. Uh, she tells Jack to get dressed, and Jack says, well, then what? And then she pulls out the suitcase, and then he says, how do you know it's there? And then she said... Uh, Tuck leaves this in the back of a trunk whenever he wakes up somewhere he doesn't know. Yeah, Tuck says, oh, crap, she knows about the suitcase. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny is actually I keep, you know, a few items in the trunk of my car, you know, like a shirt and pants, Your whatever. Work clothes. Well, I have work clothes in there, too, but um, I, I keep a spare, uh, and I have, like, a pile in the closet upstairs, which I've been meaning to bring down to put in my car. But the reason I do that is because of this movie, 
you know, because I work long and weird hours, a lot of times I may have to go meet, you know, the family somewhere and I want to have a, you know, spare clothes to change into because I don't like going somewhere in public wearing my uniform for, from, from work. So, um, so I got the idea from this movie actually. So little, little fun fact there. Lydia tipped the, the desk clerk a hundred dollars to get the room next door so they can kind of, you know, trail the cowboy. Uh, I find this kind of funny because a lot of times hotel rooms, they're, they're very well booked, even a hundred dollars. I mean, I, I think this is just very convenient. Um, something I'm just throwing out there. Well, with, with me, what I thought was if, if it was already open, why would she have to pay a hundred dollars? She could just pay like $20. Yeah. I thought that was a little, um, rip off. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Uh, Lydia's on the phone with Dwayne from work and we get a little bit more backstory on Scrimshaw. Scrimshaw? God, that almost didn't sound right. Scrimshaw. Yeah. Um, so Dwayne's kind of giving her some information about this guy. Basically, you know, it's bad juju. Uh, Jack dresses up in Tuck's clothes, and it's way too big. Uh, but Lydia, she comes out from the other room after having used the phone, and she kind of, you know, she looks at Jack and kind of, uh, you know, kind of misses Tuck a little bit because of the clothes. Uh, but they discussed a little bit how... Um, or she tries to question him about how they know each other. But at this point, the cowboy leaves the room, and so they, they follow too. So we cut to Club Inferno, and Wendy is dressed up like a party girl. Um, but J Jack sees her, and, well, they see each other, and then, you know, she doesn't even believe what he's wearing, right? She apparently likes the way he's dressed and shows some interest in him. Uh, they go inside, and Wendy goes along. And the cowboy, he's dancing by himself. Uh, not even in the circle or anything like that. Just by himself. And then Lydia comes in, and she starts dancing with him. Uh, and then Wendy and Jack are dancing. And, and she sings something like, Oh, how long have you been living this double life? So she thinks that he's a, a completely different person uh, at, at nighttime. And so, actually, now what you mentioned earlier, this makes a lot of sense that she forgot they were supposed to go out. So, um, it'd be funny if she did go out with him that night, because then she would have been like, oh, you know, you're so different from that other night. So, it makes a little bit more uh, sense now that, mm -hmm. that, that you mentioned it. So, I, I was a little confused watching this scene. Um, what do you think about the cowboy dancing? You know, his little uh, uh, pantomiming the, the, the lasso. Right, so Lydia walks up to him. You know, she's giving, she's like, "Hey, cowboy," you know, and then she gives him this this smile, and then he uh, kind of uh, motions, you know, that he's throwing up a lasso, and then he catches her, pulling him closer. They they even add a little sound effect too, you know, of him like uh, roping. That's a little weird, you know. If if I was that was a little if silly. I, if I ever get in the club one day, like when I'm 25. I'm not even, if I see someone like that, I'm just going to exit the club and go somewhere else because that's a little freaky. If you saw somebody last yeah. one, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is It is really weird, but obviously this guy thinks that uh, the ladies like it or something, you know, he thinks that he's smooth. D dancing like that, seeing someone dance like that, I think it's a little weird, like, um, when people dance with those, p when you, when you do those peace signs with the eyes, like, like, like. Like oh yeah, yeah, that's the '60s kind of dance. Yeah, the sideway P. Yeah, oh, or a piece. The, uh, yeah, yeah. You throw the P sign, and um, yeah, it's uh, I think it's like from the '60s. Or the uh, the pose of John Travolta on Saturday. Yeah, the disco dance. Yep. That, about... that, that, that freaks me out. Oh well, you know that, the... that kind of dancing. That, 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 
it just freaks me out. Well, it's, it's from a different era. So usually the people doing it now, they they're doing it to make fun of. But yeah, you would only see that in you know. And usually the uh, uh, one example of the dance that you mentioned first, uh, Jeffrey, he does it. You know, in, in an episode of Fresh Prince where um, he's at a club. Uh, so I, I think usually the people that do it is either mocking or they're from that time, and that's all they really know. Um, but fine, I, I think it's funny that you mentioned that uh, when you go clubbing at 25, because most go at like you know, uh, there's some underage clubs, but 21 is kind of the uh, the age there where most people go to like bars and clubs uh, to dance. But hey, if you want to go at 25, that's fine. No, I'll drink at 21, but I'll go clubbing at 25. Okay, <laughs> but um. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, back back to uh, Wendy and Jack talking about him living a double life. But he says he's been uh, doing that for, for a while now. Um, but Jack's the only one that she hasn't slept with at work. Um, and But apparently he he's the only one that she's partially attracted to. So it sounds like she usually sleeps with, like, ugly people or, or something. And since he's kind of cute, she didn't. I don't know. That's just, just kind of what she said. Um, but they all leave and head back to the hotel. I don't know what happens to Wendy at this point. Um, but Jack tells Tuck that, uh, she deserves better than him. He's, you know, driving in the, uh, in the Mustang by himself, Lydia's with the cowboy. But Jack, um, uh, he says something to Tuck, because this is where he starts, like, punching, or he's trying to punch himself, right? Mm -hmm. In the chest and stuff. But, um, Tuck, you know, kind of realizes that Jack's got a little thing for her. Um, but we go to the hotel. Jack's strutting down the hotel hallway, and he's upset, you know, with uh, with the cowboy, I guess. You know, and he's about to knock on the wrong door, and Tuck's like, nope, wrong door. And then and then Jack tries to go out this other door. He's like, nope, that's an exit. <laughs> and then he gets to the right door, and then he kicks it down, and the cowboy's in his underwear. And he had just popped, like, a champagne bottle because the cork goes right by Jack. And uh, he's like, hey, Big Jack, or whatever. And uh, But yeah, he punches him, knocks him out. And Lydia would just happen to be next door. You know, J Jack knocks the cowboy out. Right. I, I just said he. Yeah. Okay. Now we see the cowboy tied up in the bathtub. Again, just in his underwear. His mouth is tied. Uh, hands are tied, I think, behind his back. He's he's also wearing boots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have a hat on yet, right? Mm. Okay, so yeah, just uh, underwear and boots. Because uh, cause earlier he said to Lydia, I make love in my boots. Yeah, um, so I guess it's a good pickup line. Tuck tells Jack that he's going to alter his face. and Jack's face. Yes. And then Jack's like, oh, um, you know, how are you going to do that? And Tuck's like, well, well it's kind of complicated and... Uh, and he said it's going to hurt a little bit. And Jack goes, well, let's not do it then. And then before he finishes the word then, his face just goes out of control. Uh, you don't know this reference, but in Pee-wee's Big Adventure... Have you, have you seen that? Mm -hmm. Okay. In Pee-wee's Big Adventure, there's a character named Large Marge. She is a um, like a semi-driver, gives Pee-wee a ride, and she's telling him this really scary story. Uh, and then her face does very similar things to this too, except for her face kind of reminds me of like Beetlejuice kind of, kind of thing where this transformation from Jack to the cowboy, you know, it, it looks like a very similar effect and it is from the same, uh, around the same time, uh, time frame too. What do you think of this transformation? This transformation actually reminded me of a, uh, a scene from Space Jam. It was when Michael Jordan 
was fooling the Looney Tunes team, saying that it was special water because he got water from the sink and he labeled it special basketball water and that when you drink it, you get better or something. And then I remember like all these characters, when they were drinking it, they would uh, they would all feel better. But I think Tasmanian Devil, he would uh, his face move back and forth really fast and that's what it really reminded me of. Okay, and then Jack comes out, and he's got the, um, he has the cowboy's face. Uh, it scares Lydia at first, because his hair is still kind of like Jack's, right? And he sounds like Jack, too. Uh, but she doesn't believe him, um, but she goes inside the bathroom and sees that the cowboy is still tied up in the bathtub. So Lydia and Jack are looking in the mirror, and they, the way they're kind of like pinching at his like uh, face and nose and stuff like that is just to kind of show that... Uh, at first, I th I don't even know why they kind of did this because Tuck altered the face. It's not like he's wearing a mask or anything like that, right? They're not even they didn't add anything special to the face. They just altered it. So I so I didn't really know why they were looking in the mirror. Um, but anyway, two guys show up and they're there to pick him up to go see Scrimshaw, right? And so now we see Scrimshaw and. The cowboy hadn't seen each other in six years, right? So they sit down, and um, Scrimshaw is going to sell the cowboy one of the microchips from the lab earlier. Oh, um, they're talking, and the gold, the fake gold tooth thing comes out, and uh, Scrimshaw asks about his uh, switching to wine, from wine to propane. Because the cowboy has an, uh, a tolerable... That he can withstand pain. Yeah, that he can withstand pain. Yeah. And then uh, his face starts to go back to uh, regular Jack. Not yet. It... Uh, the, um, Igo uh, comes over and he, he's got a flamethrower hand kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, so his hand's shooting out, you know, fire. And that, yeah, that, that kind of... Um, uh, makes Jack's adrenaline just shoot up, and yeah, it, it makes him change back. So he he's got a very similar. Um, I, I think this transformation was a lot creepier and and funnier uh, than the first time. But now Jack is back, and uh, everyone's hang on. After everyone gets over their horrified reaction, uh, Scrimshaw uh, realizes that it's Jack, and that. He tells everyone to get him. Yeah, and Jack tries to get the chip, but um, something happens where they're trying to throw the chip away from each other, and then he gets into like dog food or whatever. Oh yeah, the uh, the chip gets thrown up into dog food. So uh, so a thug holds Jack while Meg is her name Megan. Uh, the actress is Meg uh, Ryan, but it's uh, Lydia. No, 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 the... Uh, oh, Margaret? Margaret. Okay, okay. that's it. So uh, Margaret and Scrimshaw both die for the dog food and trying to find it. And, you know, afterwards, after Scrimshaw finds it, their bodies are just covered in dog food. You, you know what I think is kind of funny? This entire time, the microchip, every time it's been handled, it's been with, like, um, with like a robotic arm. Or in this, in, in this scene, Scrimshaw's handling it with, like, tweezers. Now it's thrown into dog food, and, you know, they're touching it with their hands and stuff. I wonder how they're going to clean it because it just it doesn't seem like it's something that they can just rinse off with water. So in the next scene, they get uh, they get locked up in the basement, and Jack is trying to get out, but Lydia refuses to 
help him unless he tells her what's going on. So then Tuck has Jack tell her everything that happened uh, the last time they saw each other, you know, about the stubbing the foot and, and all that. So she does believe him. And then she kisses Jack, which I, I thought was a little weird. Uh, Jack asks Tuck to turn everything off, you know, the, uh, the the cameras and all that. Doesn't want him to see anything. This is this is before they kissed. Uh no, well okay, I think she was gonna go for a kiss, um, because I mean Jack knows what's gonna happen. That's why he asked Tuck to turn everything off because he knew what was gonna happen. But they kiss, and then you see Tuck passing through via saliva. Why do you think she kissed him? Because I have he's... no idea. This is what really confused me during the whole movie. I thought so, yeah. Even afterwards, I was just thinking about it, brushing my teeth. <laughs> or a random thought. <laughs> well, what about when you got done brushing your teeth? You, you stopped thinking about it? No, I, I, I still thought about it. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, it, it's it's kind of weird that, um, yeah, I don't understand it. Maybe I'm missing something. But maybe she is appreciating that Jack is doing this all for Tuck. Maybe, but I, I don't know. They 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 went full on kiss. I mean that that's how Tuck transfers over. Um, but you know, whatever. It, it, it's a short scene, and you know, one of the goons come and they said, "All right, you know, time to come out," kind of thing. And uh, but then we go to another lab, not the one from earlier, but a different one. And mm, another thing that really confused me, mm-hmm. uh, she was. Uh, holding she who Lydia. She uh-huh. was holding Jack in the car ride, meaning that she might have had feelings for him. So that that was also something that really confused me. Well, and they are kind of being they're captured, right? So uh, holding him is kind of a um, kind of thing. But the way these these two did it, it was like they had history or something. No, I get that. At this point, he's really the only one that she knows and can trust. She obviously knows that he's good, that he's there to help Tuck. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of security for her, you know, just to hold somebody close. We've never never been in that situation, but uh, I believe that, you know, that it, it's, it wasn't really anything more. It's just, you know, she felt safe to be close to somebody that she can trust at that at that moment. Um, so yeah, we go to a lab and they're trying to strap Jack into a table. Um, so obviously we know they're going to try to do something here, you know, probably extract uh, Tuck from him. Um, and then we kind of pan by and we see like some mechanized pod. Uh, this one doesn't look anything quite like the one Tuck is um, was in. You know, it, this one looks more like like a suit. Yeah, I was, uh, I was about to say it looked like a bulky Iron Man, maybe the first Mark. Yeah, a little bit bigger, a little bit yeah, bigger. So, def- something that you can bigger. um like uh, the uh, the Hulkbuster. Yeah. Uh, so Igo is um is being put into this, you know, this pod suit kind of thing, and he is gonna be miniaturized and go after Tuck. Tuck is floating around uh, inside Lydia's body, and he sees a fetus. Well. No, maybe yeah, not a fetus. It was a baby. It was a baby. baby. It was a fetus afterwards. Um, what do you think? What did you think of this image? I thought it was an alien. That she, that he was like at the chest, and this was like an alien. 
like an actual fallen alien. Yeah, well, the baby hasn't quite uh, shaped yet. I mean, look, they, they just broke up like two months ago. So, I mean, who who knows how, how pregnant she is. But Probably two months old. Since the baby wasn't so gigantic, it was probably small enough that, yeah, it's, she could be weeks pregnant, you know. So, still very early on. The, the fingers haven't even been shaped yet. But you could you could hear it making sounds and stuff. Yeah, looking at the um, little light. They're inside the inside the body. You know, it, it, any tiny little noise he can pick up, I'm sure. But uh, he does realize that he's inside Lydia, and he starts tearing up. You know, says that he's going to be a dad. Lydia's in, uh, being held in this room with one of the goons, and she tries to go for her purse, which he takes away from her. And I think I think she says she's gonna try to get gum or something, but he checks the purse to make sure there was nothing in there. But her taser goes off and it shocks him, knocks him out. She's able to get on the phone. And she calls Dwayne, her coworker, and she tells him where she's at. You know, just send some help. And so now we go back to the lab where they shrink Igo and they inject him into Jack. Uh, Lydia comes in and she saves the day. Uh, she, you know, she has a gun. And she tells everyone to get into the miniaturizer. Uh, Jack is pushing everything and um, pushes this. Yeah, he he's just pushing a bunch of buttons, and then you see this um, this meter kind of count down to fifty, right? So it's a, a reduction to fifty. If if you're not seeing it, you miss it. Um, and I'll, I'll bring this up a little bit later. But they're trying to escape, and Lydia keeps faintly hearing. Uh, her and Tuck's song, which is Cupid. Uh, that's what they were dancing to early on in the movie. They get stopped by a bad guy in the stairs. And then Jack is very confident. He says that Tuck's going to give me the strength of ten men. Um, and Lydia, she holds up her gun. And then the guy's like, oh, you probably have no more, you know, more bullets in there. She goes, oh, yeah. And she holds the gun up and she clicks, clicks. So there goes again a trope. Anytime that you really need that gun, you're out of ammo. Usually. Um, usually. Yeah, it is still a trope though. Um, but Jack thinks that Tuck is giving him the strength now. So he takes out this guy and luckily he does. But the guy soon gets up. No, no after oh. after uh, they both realize that... That Tuck is inside her. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's the big trope right there. Because the guy gets up there. After the main characters realize something then the bad thing comes up again. yeah yeah okay so what wait what does jack do does he knock him out again uh i forget what happens after that let's say that okay. <laughs> <laughs> i had to write down what he did after um but they they get to a car and um they this is when they discuss like oh when was the last time you heard tuck because they're trying to figure out how how uh tuck was you know, able to get inside Lydia, and they find out that it was through the kissing. So they kiss again, and now Tuck is back inside Jack. And this really made me nauseous on the inside because wasn't he just at the stomach? Yes. You, you didn't get to see him travel up to Lydia's. But he could have been. You, he you know. Could've, but even then, I, I don't think you need to show all that. the The problem I have is that he can be transferred through the saliva. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's a little... Because that's a lot of saliva, then. Right. It's got to be a lot of saliva. It's got to be a lot of pressure to be able to... It, it's just... it. I don't think it's plausible. You know, I think that's a little hard to believe. Um, for... 
especially with their first transfer because they didn't even know that was going to happen. Yeah. And wasn't he supposed to be like somewhere in Jack's around his earlobe? Oh, well, I, I'm sure he's just kind of been traveling. I don't know if he's really been stationary. Um, but I just think it's way too convenient just just to just to um, have Tuck see that she was pregnant. That's really all that was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really see any other significance in that because if there was no baby in there, I would have been like, okay, why are you showing us this? Because I don't think that's even possible to, to transfer Tuck like that. It's just... You know, what if he didn't transfer into it? What if he just fell out? You know, it would have just ruined the movie. Oh, another thing. if they, How did they go from a kiss to the stomach? How did he travel all the way down to her stomach after one kiss? Right. He must have just caught another bloodstream, you know, and just, you know, flowed down to the stomach. It, this movie doesn't try too much to explain some of these things um to be honest I, you know I, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time and i did find myself asking a few questions um but yeah it, they're they're not doing that great of a job to to really answer them uh, I, I know some of these things are sticking out a little bit kind of taking us out of the movie but yeah they do get tucked back inside jack lydia and jack drive off as pete arrives and then we see Margaret and Scrimshaw, who have been shrunk down, in the back seat. And then they start trying to beat up uh, Jack and Lydia. And it gave me a Chucky feeling. I only watched the uh, what's it called? Child's, Child's play. play. Child's play movies, but I don't have to watch the other ones to know about how this was portrayed because i know he does have a bride later mm-hmm. in the franchise but because the second movie i believe he attacks a man in the car mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so early on yeah yeah it gave me that feeling and that his wife was taking the the woman in front of him i don't know it just it just gave me that feeling no i could yeah i, I could see that feeling. yeah yeah if, if you want to even make that comparison yeah chucky does a, a very same thing so um chucky is Small and so are these people, and they're uh, they're, yeah, they're they're fighting Jack and Lydia from the back seat as Chucky did in part two. This is more comedic, obviously, yeah, yeah. So, as they're getting beat up, we see we go back to Tuck and he sees I go, and then they go at it. Um, the fight is still going on in the car, but they crash onto a beach, uh, where Pete picks them up, so you know, he he. When he was arriving earlier, he saw them, and I guess he'd been following them this whole time. Um, but Tuck is now running out of air, and he can't fly the ship. Um, I goes on the outside, trying to drill a hole through the glass. Now, Lydia and Jack are inside Pete's car. Tuck asks um, Jack to... What does he ask him to do in order to get the stomach acid? He needs to... Because he's in the stomach now. It's really hard to keep track of where Tuck is at, uh, at all these points, but uh, he is in the stomach, and he asks Jack to burp or something because that's what Jack does. He burps, and it, it causes the stomach acid to kind of like fly up and hit Igo, which is weird because it, it kills him, disintegrates his suit because all now we see just the skeleton, right? We don't see anything else. It's just a skeleton of Igo. Oh, that this part. Um, I don't know if you heard me that night, but I said whoopsie. Because it reminded me of... Uh, toasty. Yeah, Toasty. Yeah, oh, Fatality, yeah. So, um, Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and yeah, because it, it, it disintegrates Igo's suit, but it doesn't do any kind of damage to Tuck's pod, which, you know, okay. Um, but they get to the lab from earlier in the movie, and since Tuck is in the stomach, he suggests that if Jack sneezes, he'll be able to come out, which, okay, so, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, they say that's the only way to get him out due to the lack of the oxygen, right? So they don't really have any time. That's going to be the quickest way. Uh, Jack does remember that he is allergic to hairspray, so he asks uh, if anyone has hairspray, so somebody gives him some. He starts spraying it, but it's moose. So, um, I don't know, so, so something about this made me laugh because it's it's a miniature miniature miniaturization. I'm gonna call this a mini experiment, uh, a, a top secret one to be exact. Mm-hmm. And scientists just have hairspray. Doesn't that stick out to you? Mm, well, I mean, women, I'm sure they carry all types of products in their purses, so it's it's plausible for somebody to carry something weird. Any female listeners out there, if you carry hairspray around you where you work, you should tell us about that. Okay, keep going. Okay, well, I mean, I, I believe I kind of want to hear about it, too. Sure, okay. So, they do get hairspray, and Jack sneezes onto Dr. Niles' glasses. Um, very convenient, and I'm glad he got it just right. <laughs> um, so they get tweezers, which I'm also glad they didn't squish him, um, you know, from pressure, tweezing him off the glasses. They put him on a little dish, take him to, um, you know, basically take him to where they can uh, activate the re-enlargement process and, uh, and get tucked back, right? So... Go ahead. It's, it's amazing, though, because the scientist that plucked him off the glasses, he he acted like as if he saw Tuck, but it's supposed to be naked to the human eye. Like, um, because they say earlier, it's supposed to be the size of a speck of dust. Yeah, it's really, really small, but he is wearing, like, some kind of optic visor that was able to oh, magnify okay. and see him. And then uh, Pete pulls him out, and Lydia goes for the hug and kiss. Um, and Jack is there, realizes him and Lydia can never be. Um, and Tug and Jack finally meet each other. They give each other a hug. And Jack offers him the cowboy's uh, Cuban cigar. And then we cut to the very last scene. Tuck and Lydia are getting married. It's their wedding day. And Tuck thanks Jack for uh, the cruise tickets. He says, uh, no biggie, two years of saving. <laughs> <laughs> so two years is uh, all you know. T- that's how long it takes for him to be able to afford a cruise. Um, but the, well, you know, he he was paying for a cruise of two, so it might have been like one year. It would have been for him. Yeah. Um, well, I I, I think the, it was for him originally anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I. But he had, he also had to get another one. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I I don't think he was saving another year just for them. I I think they were getting married, and as a gift, he's like, well, I'll just give him these. And yeah. he had been saving for two years for himself, and that was probably just extra money that he had. Um, but we see the cowboy um, put a suitcase into the trunk of the wedding car. Um, Margaret and Scrimshaw are inside there. And they are really tiny. What do you think about this effect? Uh, I don't 
don't know where, but it definitely reminded me of a movie I've seen before. Maybe, do you, do you know? I can't think of anything off the top, but, um, you know, they made a big suitcase, obviously, to show, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make them look smaller. Um, and I wanted to bring this up, uh, or I kind of mentioned it earlier, but when I was younger, I didn't understand why they were only this size. I was like, why aren't they as small as Tuck? And that's because that one scene when um, Jack was, you know, messing with the uh, uh, the miniaturization uh, controls, con yeah. Console. Mm -hmm. uh, I I didn't catch that, you know, it was they were being reduced to half the size. So yeah, when when I first saw that scene, it made me think. But then after a while, I finally got it when they uh, first popped out and started attacking them in the car. Yeah. See, I I was a lot younger than you, so I. I that went over my head. I had no idea. And that kind of bugged me as a kid. I go, but they're supposed to be smaller than him or, you know, than what they were uh, really. Um, uh, the cowboy tells Scrimshaw that um, that they have the chips. And Tuck is wearing the chips as cufflinks. Okay, th uh, that part really bugged me because, you know, first of all, it's it was a very top secret experiment. So how would they not notice that those chips were missing? Well... Um, I'll, I'll stop you right there because I don't okay we don't know what's going on with the experiment right now right mm -hmm. Ozzy's dead um, that doesn't mean the project is dead but we don't know what the status of that is right now for all we know is maybe they're gonna um, you know continue but make some changes what have you so these chips may have been deactivated or you know no longer needed Right, because mm -hmm. they're they're probably going to make some new ones or something like that. So I can see it, and and this, you know, maybe they gave these to him as, um, you know, kind of memorabilia. Like, oh, hey, remember your journey. Uh, that too, I wouldn't even put them as cufflinks. I'd put them on like a little award thingy or something. Yeah, no, no, that, I, that, I, that, I, that, it just it's kind of me. an odd thing to to wear as cufflinks. No, I I get that. I mean, and cufflinks are, yeah, I, I don't know. So Jack tips the cowboy, which, you know, he doesn't recognize him at first um, because the cowboy is the driver and tells him to not run any red lights. And now Jack's doctor from earlier and Wendy and his boss, they're all talking to him, which I think is a little weird why any of them are even at this wedding <laughs> because they don't know Lydia and Tuck. Um, and I don't think Jack would just invite people to, you know, a wedding where he... Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's Jack's doctor. I mean... Yeah, it, it's his doctor. It's his boss, who he doesn't even, you know... Really like. Really like. Wendy, he's not with. Um, so I, I don't know why they're at the wedding. Plus three. Yeah, you know, I, I guess maybe they are the only three in his life. I don't know. Um, but they're all talking to him, and, you know, they're each saying something. Wendy's, like, you know, wanting to hug out with him. Um, the boss is... I don't know. Wants to promote He's, him, or uh, the boss says, "Hey, if you're uh, not having an episode, I could really use you on Monday." The doctor says, "Hey, uh, I want to run some tests on you next time you come in." And then Wendy says, uh, "You know, I think we can give this a shot, you and I. I mean, not exclusively at first, but you know, maybe one day." Yeah, and then he replies to all of them. He says, "Doc, I'm cured." He says to Wendy, "No way." <laughs> Not a chance. Or not, yeah, not a chance. And then he says to the boss, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, because now he realizes that that was the cowboy. So he hops into the red Mustang and says, Jack Putter to the rescue. And so he um, 
he chases after them, you know, and and that's the way it ends. You, you see both cars driving, you know, and Jack's catching up to them. Uh, and this mo movie ends with uh, Dance the Night Away. And that's it. Do you have any other thoughts, about, comments about that movie? Mm -mm. And why don't you go ahead and give us your rating for the movie? Alright, this rating I give a four stars. Uh, I was going to give it a three and a half, but I didn't want to give it too low. Uh, this movie, it was good, but it didn't stick in my head like most movies would. I don't know why, but these, also these characters' names, they didn't, I didn't remember them like I would any other movie. Yeah. But like... It, w it would have been nice to have uh, a little bit more backstory with Tuck yeah. and Lydia, mm -hmm. you know, rather than just showing us that, uh, you know, they, they just broke up um, early on in the movie. We obviously n knew that they had a history, but it would have been more, um, nicer if we got a little bit more of their interactions and, you know, instead of just skipping two months later. Mm -hmm. um, and Jack, you know, he's supposed to be the stranger in all this. So I get that, that we didn't really, you know, get anything on him. Uh, but my rating, I will give it a four and a quarter. Uh, I liked it a little bit more, but I also grew up with this movie, so it's a little nostalgic to me. Um, so I'm going to give it that. Um, I know that we kind of um, started a new segment last time, kind of. Uh, you know, we did mention that it's a work in po progress. But you mentioned earlier, um, prior to this recording, that you didn't really have any quotes that really stuck out to you or anything like that. Um, we haven't decided on like plan B segments or anything. Mm -mm. Um, now these characters, these three, Lydia, Tuck and Jack, currently, do you think there's any actors that you would like to see play these characters if there was a remake? I think Jack could be Bradley Cooper. Cause I know him in real life. He's, he's sarcastic. He's funny, right? Sometimes. He can be funny. He plays a lot of serious roles, yeah, too. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. So but... you're saying he could be Jack the Stranger or Tuck. Sorry, I'm using the wrong person. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Reynolds. <clears throat> I think Ryan Reynolds because he, he played Green Lantern, too. I think he was awesome. In most movies, you know, he doesn't respect authority, right? Yeah. He doesn't play the serious guy a lot. Yeah, he's kind of snarky kind of guy. Mm, so I yeah. think he would, he would be a good Jack. Or Tuck. Sorry. And Jack... Uh. I don't. I don't know if he'd play him. I don't know much comedians, and Jim Carrey's a little bit too old for the role. You, no you, offense to you. No, no, that's Jim fine. Um, actually, I I kind of like those names. Um, I you know, none of us had you know any thoughts of this. Um, you know, we didn't think about this beforehand, but uh, just those names alone, I'd like to see Bradley Cooper in the in the Tuck role and and have Ryan Reynolds in the Jack role. Um, they can be interchangeable, but, uh, I mean, they both can be comedic and play it straight, really. And, you know, the role of Lydia, she doesn't do too much. I mean, Meg Ryan, uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid, they met on this set. And, you know, shortly after, like a few years later, they, they ended up getting married. Uh, but her character, I mean, it, it can... I guess it could almost be, I mean, throw Scarlett Johansson in there as, as her. You know, maybe she might be too big for this role now. Um... Secondary person, who can this be? J Lo, J Law, J Law. Yeah, yeah. She she could play this role. It could really be anybody. I mean, she's just a love interest. Again, she doesn't do a whole lot. We don't really. She's a reporter, but she doesn't really report. You know, she did a a little undercover thing. You know, with the cowboy. You know, to get a story, but we don't see a follow up on that, right? We don't even see her write a story on that. Mm -mm. Um, 
So she is really, the only purpose she served really is to have shown that she was pregnant. And that's actually another thing that... Uh, it was all, uh, what's it called? Un, unneeded? Ne- unnecessary? Unnecessary, that's the word. It was all unnecessary. She was the unnecessary character of this movie. Most movies have an unnecessary character. She was this one for the movie. She didn't change the plot too much. It was just a little bromance between two guys, one guy well, and his body. I, oh, I said that wrong. I think she kind of served her purpose. I think I think she really, you know, kind of helped move it along because without her, it's really hard for uh, Tuck, the character, to really motivate Jack to really help him you know, in doing anything. I know that Jack uh, agreed it uh, agreed on it early on, but just think about the whole cowboy situation when he um, changed into the cowboy. Without Lydia, they never would have got with the cowboy to be in the place to try to intercept the chips later on. Right? Well, from I'm Trimshaw. sure they would have had a, be- uh, a backup plan. They would have or... come up with something, I'm yeah, sure. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, no, I guess you're right. It probably could have been rewritten without her in it, and, you know, like... they could have... It's just, I think um, with Jack starting to kind of fall for Lydia, it kind of, um, you know, motivated him a little bit. I think what it really did was just cause conflict. Yeah. Adding the character of Lydia. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, well I guess that's it for that. Why don't we uh, get into some listener feedback? All right, we didn't get any emails for this episode, but we have gotten two more reviews, so definitely appreciate those. And I think we got two more stars uh, along with that. Uh, why don't you go ahead and read the two reviews we got? Cool show by MO317K5. There's a lot of movie review podcasts out there, and the only real difference with this one is it has a teenager as one of the hosts. Cool idea, and it's something to listen to. I like the addition of music at the end in the later shows. The next one is... Uh, by Mark 3 Mark. Nice intro music. Hey, I find your show through another podcast I listen to. I like the kid's perse- perspective. Awesome that he's willing to give some of those older movies a watch. It's definitely it's different and worth checking out. Alright, thank you very much for those reviews. Uh, that second one, Mark 3 Mark, um, he found us through another podcast. I that would have been cool if he mentioned what podcast that was, so we can, you know, maybe give that podcast a shout out, um, or you know, try to find out how he even found us through them. Uh, and then that first one, cool. No, I, 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 you know, we it's really cool that we got uh, these reviews via iTunes. Uh, I wish that um, I would like people to email in as well. Uh, and you can do so at hlfpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at hlfpodcast. Uh, go to our Facebook page, iTunes. Just type in Hydrate Level 4, subscribe, um, review us, rate us. We, we want to hear back from people. Give us your thoughts. Help us out with um, suggestions for segments and things of that nature. Um, but... Again, we don't have anything scheduled for next time. Phoenix is going to be gone for the next week. But as long as you're subscribing in iTunes, uh, the next episode will just pop up. So keep an eye out for that. Um, on Instagram, I think what we're going to try doing is once we discuss uh, uh, or once we choose a movie, we're just going to like make a picture and post that picture up. Because what I've been doing lately is uploading the episodes and then making the picture. So I think I'll put the picture before... 
you know, we even announce it. We'll put a picture up as an announcement. You know, that way we can try to ask for emails and stuff too. Um, so just follow us on Instagram. That way you can get that as well. Um, and obviously on the Facebook page, we'll throw up anything uh, regarding future episodes. So yeah, I got nothing else. Um, uh, Phoenix, I hope you have fun at camp. And for others, it might be kind of seamless, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, until the next episode, I'm Peter. I'm Phoenix. And we're Hydrate Level 4.